Well, good evening again, church family. We're just coming back from the marriage conference. And um, I, as far as I know, they're still going. <laughs> Last I heard, they were still praying and, and pastor was still ministering. And um, I tell you what, I'm so grateful that we're a part of a church that has pastors and leaders that are wanting to constantly sow into the marriages. I was blown away this weekend. I was just so thankful to Catherine uh, Cleversey and our pastors, Pastor Alex and Pastor Naomi. If you don't know, I'm, I'm the youth pastor. I'm, if you're new, I'm not the senior pastor. <laughs> He's down south ministering at the marriage conference. But I'm just so thankful that they're constantly sowing seeds. And they put on things like this to where they sow life into the marriages of this house and wanting oceans to have strong families and strong marriages and strong husbands and wives. And it was just absolutely, absolutely fantastic. If nothing else, me and my wife are stronger from it. So if you're married, turn to your neighbor and say, next year. Come on, turn to your partner, say, next year. We're going. Amen. Um, I just want to extend my honor, my gratitude. I don't know if they're watching or not, but to Pastor and Pastor Naomi, they asked me to take the service tonight. It is always an honor and a privilege to be ministering to each and every one of you. I don't take it lightly. And if you guys would receive me as a son in the house, as an extension of his ministry rather than a replacement in his absence, I would be very grateful to each and every one of you. And um, can I share a little story before I get into my notes this morning, this evening? It's morning somewhere. I'm getting more and more like, Pastor Alex every day. Amen. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Even if it's that, I'll take it. Amen. But as a, as a spiritual son, one of the coolest things for me that I've got to experience in my walk in ministry is when I'm praying or I'm seeking the face of God for something and I hear something or I get something, whether it be a vision, whether it be a word, maybe a sermon, whatever it may be, and God gives it to me, say, like on a Thursday. And then pastor comes in and we don't discuss anything. I just go to work and like, I don't even see him, right? I'm like in the ceiling and changing wires or doing whatever. Like we don't sit down and like, Friday morning, have a conversation about what the Lord spoke to me and what the Lord spoke to him. That's not a thing that we do. <laughs> Amen. But God gives me something, and then, and then I show up on a Sunday or a Saturday night, and then he comes in and he preaches a word, and then it's like, it's as if he read my bullet points on my little notepad in my prayer room. I don't know if anyone else is like that or if anyone else is experienced like that. You've been praying earlier in the week or maybe you got into a Bible study or God was speaking to you about something a couple days prior to a service and then you show up to a service and the very same thing that you were getting in the prayer room or in the secret place on a Thursday, all of a sudden you find out that the Holy Ghost was speaking to our pastor and then he comes and ministers a word and puts it on top of what you've already got and you're like, yes, Lord, and there's all this confirmation. I don't know if that's happened to you, but as a spiritual son in the house, it's happened quite a bit over the last seven or eight years, and I love it. Like, I'll go to youth on Friday night. How many times? Come on, be real. How many times on Friday night I'll go in and I'll preach something on a Friday night, and then it's like Saturday night, you're like, Pastor Mike, what's going on? I love it. 
Thursday, the reason why I'm saying this is because Thursday, last week, Thursday, I was in my prayer room and I'm busy praying. I wasn't looking for a sermon. I wasn't like on Sermon Central, like downloading somebody else's to try to figure out what to minister. I was just in my prayer room, just praying. That was it. And God told me, he said, go get a pen and go get your little yellow notepad. And I said, yes, Lord. And I grabbed my pen and I grabbed my little yellow notepad. And I was like, okay, here it comes. It's a great prophetic vision. I'm all excited. And then it was just bullet points. And then scripture and bullet points and scripture and bullet points. And I'm just writing. And as soon as the pen touched the page, it just started going. And it was really awesome. It wasn't what I wanted. I'm not complaining. I just, you know, I was really excited. I thought I was going to have this awesome vision and I didn't. I just, I got a sermon instead. And I looked at it and this was last week, Thursday. And I said, wow, gee, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So I stuck it in my back pocket and I left it. And a pastor asked me to preach tonight. And I said, oh, no problem. I got a sermon. I'm like, oh, amen. And I told him what the sermon was on. He said, you can't preach it. <laughs> One thing led to another, and I'm still preaching it. Amen. It's just my relationship with him. If you know, you know. But I'm really excited to get into it because I really believe this is a word from the Lord. Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them the cost. Don't worry. We're not taking up another tithe. Just, but the cost, the cost. What are you willing to pay? What are you willing to give? See, the anointing is a tangible substance. The anointing is something that can be transferred. Anything that is tangible is transferable. If I walk to, over to somebody and I blow on them, in the natural, stay with me, and just and blow some wind onto their face. That is a tangible substance. My breath <laughs> is transferred. Anything that is tangible is transferable. If I had a sponge filled with water, water is a tangible substance. And if I walked over to somebody and took that sponge that was loaded with water and wrung the sponge out over top of somebody's head, how many of you know through the process of gravity and liquid, we would have something that is tangible but yet transferable. It gets transferred from the sponge to the person below the sponge. Are you with me? The anointing is a tangible substance. The anointing makes the difference. There's a lot of really good music out there, but how many of you know there's a really big difference between just another Christian song and then an anointed song? How many of you know that there's a big difference between a keys 
pianist player and they play beautifully and harmonically and all over the scale and they can read all sorts of music but there's a big difference when there's an anointing behind what is being played there's a weight in the realm of the spirit it's the difference between just hearing a song and all of a sudden there's a key that gets played and all of a sudden inside of you something inside begins to jump you begin to weep you begin to cry why because the anointing is a tangible substance and anything that is tangible is transferable so that means when you're anointed and you begin to play a song that sound goes out and that sound becomes a tangible substance that is transferred there's a difference between just a good word and a nice Bible study there's thousands of Bible studies all over the country taking place on a week-to-week basis and really good sermons. But there's a difference between a word that has the anointing and just another word. Everything that is tangible is transferable. In the same breath, everything that is receivable can be rejected. If I go to blow on somebody and they recognize what's about to take place, They can put up their hands, maybe they'll grab a Bible and just, you know, Holy Ghost block it. I don't want your breath or your saliva. Keep it to yourself. Amazon delivers you a package and they go to drop it on the door. How many of you know anything that's receivable can be rejected? The sprinklers kick on. You can choose to put something up to forcibly block or to push back that with which is trying to transfer onto you. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. The same thing with the anointing. See, the anointing can begin to flow in an area and you can choose to forcibly reject it. I don't know why anybody would. And I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would be open to it when it begins to flow because we need the anointing. I really want to talk a a lot about the anointing, but I have to stay on topic because I want to talk about the cost of the anointing. How many of you know that anything that is rare is costly? Is everyone with me so far? Anything that is rare is costly. What is the process of making a diamond? (laughs) Somebody say the cost. Oh, the cost. Because, see, in order to get that precious stone that people pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for, did you know that that precious stone was just dead, decaying matter underneath the earth? No, you're not picking it up just yet. You got to understand that, see, when something is ugly, dead, and decaying, but there's a little bit of pressure applied to it, God can do something amazing inside the pressure. See, when you begin to apply pressure to something, all of a sudden you begin to squeeze out the best 
of what looks dead and ugly to the rest of the world because see the dead and ugly dying decaying matter that is underneath the earth to me and you looks like a big high pile of a mess but all of a sudden through the process of pressure and the pushing and over the ages and the time and that thing begins to be pushed all of the good begins to get turned into something different it reminds me of the story in the Old Testament where he was anointed the prophet got anointed in 1 Samuel 10 and then it says that he went and he began to prophesy and as soon as the hand of the Lord came upon him and there was an anointing he turned into the other man it sounds a lot like what the anointing does for me and you because see we may be a little dead we may be a little ugly on the outside but as soon as we get pressed there's something that comes out of us that's absolutely beautiful and precious but they're costly because it's rare It's only a couple things that drive the price of something up in basic economics. Necessity. How many of you know in a drought, the most costly thing in the world isn't water or isn't gasoline, it's water. Are, are you with me? Necessity and demand will always drive the price of something up, but so does rarity. Why are diamonds so costly? Because they're rare. Anything that is precious takes time to cultivate. It's rare. It's hard to get by. When I think of perfumes, I can go to TJ Maxx and get the knockoff. There's a couple people laughing because you're just like me. You just refuse to buy the real deal. I'm going to get the $15 version of it at TJ Maxx and smell just as pretty. But the best colognes and the best perfumes, I mean, if you know, you got to pay a lot of money for them. They're costly. Why? Because there's ingredients in that cologne or that perfume. Oh, there's ingredients that cause that costly perfume. You know, really, really high quality cologne or perfume. One spray, it'll last you all day. A TJ Maxx perfume, you shower in it. You drive to where you're going, and you got to hit 15 more spritzes as you come out the vehicle because you know in about 10 minutes it's gone. But you get a good quality perfume, and that aroma is lasting. It sticks on you, and it goes with you wherever you go. The beautiful thing about a costly perfume is that the minute you walk into a room, it changes the aroma of the room. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down, but you have to understand that everything that is transferable is a tangible substance. The anointing is a tangible substance upon your life, and it's like a perfume, a sweet-smelling perfume. You can walk into a room and completely change the aroma of the whole room. Not say a word, not do a single thing, but just because you're there and there's an anointing upon you. Come on, I'm not the only one who's been in Walmart and I'm walking down to get my cereal and I go, Pastor? You know, because he's got that cologne and he has a smell, he has a fragrance. I'm not being weird, it just is what it is. My wife has a particular perfume that she wears. And when we get lost at the store, sometimes trying to sniff her out is easier than trying to text her. <laughs> you walk down to Syria, she's on aisle 10. 
We're going to get there. Somebody say the cost. But see, in order to have that expensive cologne or that expensive perfume, it had to cost something a lot to get there. There are ingredients to anointing oil. And I would love to dive into those tonight, but we don't have the time to do it. So we'll save that for another time because every one of them is representative of something that you can apply and do to your life to get the anointing oil to begin to flow in and through you and out of you. But we'll do that another time. But the number one main ingredient in anointing oil, everybody say, is oil. You got to have oil. So if, and, and almost every scholar across the board agrees, it's olive oil. Is everybody okay so far? Somebody say oil. This jar of oil is olive oil. It's been prayed over, don't worry, it's consecrated. But let's be real, this is olive oil. Olive oil is a physical representation of the Holy Spirit. Is everybody with me so far? If me and you were to buy some oil and I told you, listen, we needed to get a lot of oil, you could go to Publix, and right now, at this very moment in hour, you could run to Publix, and for about $7, you could pick yourself up a bottle of oil. And me and you sit there and think, well, gee, that olive oil, isn't that costly? It didn't cost that much. Somebody say your perspective's wrong. Because, see, we're viewing that bottle of olive oil, that's $7, and that's what it cost me and you because it's easy for us to get, but we're looking at it through the lens of me and you rather than the lens of the olive. Come on, somebody. $7 is a whole different ball game when you're the olive. Listen, you're laughing, but it's reality because that olive had to die. That olive had to get crushed. That olive had to get persecuted and pulverized. It had to be unrecognizable, squeezed, and just to absolute nothing to get one single drop of oil out of that olive. But our perspective has to change because for me and you, it's $7, but to the olive, it costed everything. Somebody say the cost. The cost. It costs that poor olive everything to get a single drop to flow out of it. So let's talk about some of the costs to get the anointing to begin to flow. Is everybody okay so far? True repentance, true submission, true sacrifice, and true intimacy. And we'll only touch on just a couple of these tonight. Let's go to Hebrews 13 and 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. I like this scripture. I'm a man under authority. This is easy for me to minister because I'm not the senior man here. <laughs> okay, I'll come over this side. Understand that submission to authority is a crucial role in getting the anointing to begin to flow in your life. Understand that submission to authority is really just power under control. 
Understand that submission to an authority is kind of like fire. How many of you know fire can be a really good thing? On a real cold winter's day, a nice hot fire is a real positive thing in our lives. If you got too much undergrowth and you need to clear out your property, you know, if California would pick this up, they would understand something. But, you know, control burns every once in a while are a good thing. Can I get an amen? It puts ash back into the grounds. It's biologically, it's a really, really good thing. It clears out the undergrowth. Fire in its designated purpose and within the confines of control is a really positive thing. But how many of you know, as soon as fire gets out of control, it's a real bad thing. Submission is like that. As soon as you get under authority and you submit to an authority and watch this, you do so with joy and gladness so that those who rule over you, it's a positive thing. When's the last time you got rebuked and you said, gee, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Come on, our attitudes have got to change. I'm so thankful to God that I have a pastor that loves me enough to tell me the hard truth. And watch this. If I really do appreciate that, I'll look at him the next time he gets a rebuke, and I know he's going to hold me to this. But the next time he comes at me and gives me a good old-fashioned, what he calls a hiding, I'll look him dead in the eyes and say, thank you, pastor, for loving me. I appreciate you trying to build me and to grow my character, and I submit to that, and I'm so thankful for it. That's doing it with joy and the right attitude. And watch this. The more that you do that and the more that you get that right and you keep your heart right and you keep your attitude right, I promise the anointing begins to flow out of it. Can I get an amen? So submission to authority is a really, really good thing. And doing it with the right attitude because we can submit to authority and still have bad motives in our heart. Okay, we'll move off of that one. Don't worry. We'll come back to it. Somebody say sacrifice. Again, it costs the olive everything. It costs the olive everything. Unrecognizable. Completely crushed. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? What is the cost that you're willing to pay to get the anointing to flow in your life? 1 Peter 1 and 13 says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind. Oh. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I don't want to go on too big of a tangent here, but you got to realize that the battle begins here. If we can get this to change, everything else will follow suit. That's why Romans 12 says to not be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by your mind. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Oh, there's that word again. Obedience, submission, they kind of go hand in hand. Okay, I won't beat on it. It's all right. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Are you willing to sacrifice your pride? Are you willing to lay it down? 
Are you willing to live holy? Are you willing to leave what we did in yesterday in yesterday and step forward and as a new creation in Christ? Are you are you willing to, to live holy? Holiness should not be a Christian cuss word. I really firmly believe, the more and more I study the Old Testament, and I firmly believe that the Old Testament is a type and shadow of what we should be experiencing as New Testament believers. All throughout the Old Testament, all we see is God calling the people back to a place of holiness. That's not a rule system. That's not him beating us over the head with the word because we have to submit to the law. That's him saying, I just wish you would love me. And if you would love me, holiness is a natural reaction to loving me. Come on, can somebody say amen? Are you willing to live holy? Because he says, be holy, for he is holy. When you live that lifestyle, the anointing naturally begins to flow, but are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to sacrifice relationships? Because here, let me give you some reality. The moment that you choose to live a holy lifestyle, you immediately put a counterculture flag right on your forehead that says, I'm gonna be the total opposite to the world. And when you do that, you're going to have some relationships that might struggle. Are you willing to sacrifice that relationship? Are you willing to sacrifice even potentially situations or difficult conversations with family? It's right or wrong. What does the word say? I want to live to what the word says. And if that means that somebody's going to hate me and be offended because I, I agree with the word, then so be it. And I'll wear the counterculture flag proud. You want to talk about some pride? I'll be real prideful about my counterculture flag. And I'm going to stand for what this word says. And I'm going to live holy because he's a holy God. And that means if he's a holy God, then I need to reflect his image. And by reflecting his image, I will be counterculture. And all throughout the Old Testament, he was asking the people to be counterculture. Lay down your idols. Lay down those things that are contrary to my word. Lay it down. And there will be a pouring out that comes out to you. But are you willing to do it because it will cost you rest assured it will cost you people will get offended oh you don't believe in gay marriage it will cost you trust me you're gonna have some difficult conversations young people we talk about it all the time the disillusion and all the problems that are going on in the school systems today. It will cost you to be counterculture. It will cost you to live holy as he is holy. Are you willing to pay the price? Because if you are, I promise he will bless it. But that goes to all of us. Can I get an amen? We must live by what this word says. Are you willing to sacrifice your pride? Watch this. Familiarity will always kill the anointing, but humility will always kill familiarity. Are you willing to lay your pride down and smile and say, Pastor, I love you. Thank you for rebuking me. I told you I'd circle back to the... <laughs> oh, I should have got a bigger amen for that one. 
Listen, the only reason why you end up getting upset when you get rebuked or when you get corrected, and I'm saying this as a son in the house, not because I'm doing the rebuking, because I'm normally on the receiving end of the stick. Is that okay? But the only time you ever get offended and upset and 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 hurt by it is because you're there's pride. Can we just call it what it is? It's because I think I know better. But God didn't choose me to be the senior man here. He chose Pastor Alex to be the senior man here. So if God chose him, who, okay, all right, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Somebody say amen. Psalm 51 and 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Luke 14 and 11 says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. James 4 and 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Are you willing to sacrifice it? Are you willing to lay it down? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Your hobbies. Listen, that one hurt me. <laughs> July 29th was opening day of deer season. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. Are you willing to sacrifice your pastimes? Sometimes even your sleep. When God wakes you up in the middle of the night and places somebody on your heart to begin to go intercede, are you willing to, to, to lay it down? Because it's going to cost you something. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come free. And unfortunately, in Christianity, there's a lot of people that try to paint this picture of a get it quick, get it easy, get rich quick scheme. And I'm sorry to tell you, if you want the real thing, because we have a lot of manufactured, manipulated, eccentrical, emotionalism church. But if you want the real thing, it's going to cost you something. There's a big difference between hype and anointing. You can say the right trigger words and jump in the right position and get people to get all hyped up with you, but hype and anointing are two different things. When there's an anointing, there's a weight that comes out. When there's an anointing, there's a persecution that comes. Oh, let me talk about that for a minute. That's not even in my notes, but understand that when there's an anointing, there is a persecution, and that's where that pressure comes, because as soon as you begin to contradict the plans of the enemy, he gets a little upset, and he comes in and begins to apply some pressure, but are you going to allow yourself to be that dead, decaying soil that turns into a diamond because of that pressure? I ask you tonight, are you going to upset the enemy in a place to where you can stand back and say, yeah, go ahead and press me a little harder. What you don't know, devil, is the harder you press, the more it flows. The harder you press, the more it comes. I'll allow the pressure. But it's going to cost. We like to jump and shout and get all excited about the anointing, but you got to understand that persecution still hurts. Nobody likes pressure. I heard a preacher one time. He said this, and I, I got to be honest. I got to deal with me on it because I got a little offended. I'm being vulnerable with you tonight. Is that okay? I heard this preacher one time. He was preaching on the anointing, and he was preaching on, because again, anything that is tangible is transferable. He said somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, this wasn't me. This was another preacher I heard ministering this word. Is everybody with me so far? They came up to him, and they said, Pastor, I need that anointing that's on your life. And he said, no. 
and I immediately did like you. I got all offended. And then I begin to listen to this man of God share his heart. He says, that guy person didn't understand what it cost me to get what's upon my life. He didn't, he wasn't there in the tears. He wasn't there in the pain. He wasn't there in the suffering. He wasn't there when everybody turned against me, when my family turned against me, when those who were closest to me turned against me. But I continued to press on. I continued to endure. I continued to run my race as it was with Paul. Paul was beaten unrecognizable, but yet there was an anointing on Paul. And understand, there are always those who are dependent on somebody else's anointing. Matthew 25 recounts the story of the ten virgins, and five had oil in their lamps, and five didn't. And they said, come, where can I get that oil? And they said, I'm sorry, time has run out for you. You should have been tending to your oil while you had time. There will always be those who are dependent on your oil to stay anointed. (laughs) But there's a cost. And it's not something money can buy. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your relationships. Hey, we're all getting together. We're going to go to Chili's after service. I'm sorry. I got to give it a skip this Saturday because I have an appointment with my father. Now, don't misunderstand me because we can get weird and wonderful about this and really go left field with it. I'm not telling you to be not personable and I'm not telling you to not have any fun and to not have a social life, but there's definitely a cost that is paid. And if we just float around on a cloud and just do all the fun things all the time and just have great Christian fellowship and we don't actually put anything into it, we're not going to get anything out of it. God will always honor a sacrifice, but what are you willing to give up? You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane is actually the word oil press. (laughs) That should change the way we look at what happened in the garden. Because there was somebody that gave it all. He gave it all. I'm so far off of my notes. Somebody help me. You know, Paul says this, and how many of us can agree Paul was anointed? Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul was the same man that made the statement, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than you all. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was very anointed. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians that I die daily. See, we got to get to the point where we're realizing sowing and reaping and death is a seed for resurrection. Oh, let me say that again. Death is a seed for resurrection. What are you willing to die? What are you willing to kill? And I'm not talking about physical death. Please do not misunderstand me. But sometimes we need to die to our own pride. Sometimes we need to die to our own selfish inhibitions. Sometimes we need to die to the things of the flesh and allow that death to cause a resurrection. Another man, as it was in 1 Samuel 10, where it says that he was turned into the other man. But you have to understand, even with Paul, something had to die. My own selfish will, my rights, my inhibition, my pride, my thoughts, my character. (laughs) Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I hope I'm helping somebody tonight. I know this isn't exactly super hyper polished and normal, but we've got to be more than just believers. Because all throughout the Old Testament, there were kings, and then there was anointed kings. In the New Testament, there was those who was preaching the word. And then there were those who were preaching the word with an anointing. And there was a difference. When I rule my house as the high priest of my house, as the spiritual covering of my house, you, you, you have to be at the marriage conference to get it. I want to rule my house with an anointing. Every area of grace that God has given me over the youth as an example, I want to do it with the anointing but it's gonna cost me something. I don't wanna be average. I don't wanna be natural. I wanna be above average and I wanna live supernaturally. And it's the anointing that makes the difference. But it's gonna cost you something. Are you willing to pay the price? I have three minutes. Let me leave you with one more thing. Is everybody okay? Because understand that the, the oil can go stale too. This is a whole other sermon for another day, but I'm going to give you the bullet points real fast. Is that all right? Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. And it says, And a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing. Somebody say, I have nothing. I have nothing left to give. There's nothing left in me. I've given it all. I've run out. My jar is empty. I'm down to the last drop. I have nothing left to go on. She says, I have nothing in the house but a jar of... So he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. understand that we can't talk about the cost of the anointing and getting the anointing to cause a change in your life for you to just be selfish with what God has given you. Come on, let me help somebody tonight because oil that just sits in a jar and it sits in a jar for really like way too long and there's no inward and outward flow, it begins to go stale. Any kind of a, a, a body of water that d it doesn't have an inflow and an outflow begins to go stagnant. Stagnant water is not life-giving water, it's death water. If you don't believe me, go around a stagnant pool and take a good deep breath and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. If you want to find stagnant water, you can smell it from a mile away. So if there's no outflow of the water as well as inflow, 
it'll cause it to go stagnant. Watch this. If a body of water has an outflow only and no inflow, the body of water will go dry. Oh, I'm speaking spiritual. I hope somebody's picking up what I'm putting down. Because understand, if we're going to pay the price and we're going to pay the cost to get the anointing to begin to flow in our lives, that's the inflow. But what about the outflow? Because if it just flows and flows and flows and it begins to bubble over and pour off over, the, uh, over my edges and off my garment, and I am now really, really anointed, but I do nothing with the anointing, what is it really doing? Because we can preach all we want for the shake and bake feeling and the anointing to come upon us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, but yet we don't want to use it for the effective purpose of ministry, what are we asking for the anointing for? Let's go back to verse 3. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 3. It says, then he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere. Somebody say everywhere. From all of your neighbors, empty vessels and do not gather just a few. Verse 4. It says, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then you shall pour into those vessels and set aside the full ones. Watch this, verse 5. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Verse 6. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil, was the problem the oil or the vessel? See, we need to make sure that there's an outflow always. Because as long as you have a constant outflow of that with which God is giving you, ye who is faithful in little, much more will be given. So if I'm faithful in the little bit of oil that God is pouring out of my life, and I'm continuing to do something with the little bit that God is giving me, he will continue to pour out. The issue wasn't the, the cease of oil wasn't because she didn't pray enough. It's because she stopped the outflow. It will cost you something. Don't forget in the beginning, she said, I have nothing left. This is the last I have to live on. And I'm asking you to pour out the last little bit that you got. And as many vessels as she had, the oil continued to flow. That's my prayer over every single one of you tonight as we close. That as you seek the face of God and whether you choose or not, it's up to you. I pray that you do, but if you're willing to lay your life down, if you're willing to lay down your pride, if you're willing to lay down those things and begin to walk a lifestyle of holiness and to sacrifice a couple things in your life to allow the anointing oil to begin to flow in your life, I pray that you would find vessels around you to begin to pour into, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's your children. Oh, parents, I pray in Jesus' name that tonight in this place that you would begin to rule and run your households with the anointing pouring out of you, that it would run over into your children, that we would have households, that we would have marriages that are covered and saturated in the anointing in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Father, I pray in this place tonight, under the sound of my voice, God, I pray that this would cause an unction and a fire on the inside of us to pray whatever price that we would have to pay, Lord, to get that anointing to begin to flow in our lives. God, we recognize it's only because of you and by you, but Lord, I'm willing to lay down my pride. I'm willing to lay down my hobbies. I'm willing to lay down and sacrifice even things in my own life to get closer to you and to draw to you. God, I'm willing to pay the price. And I pray tonight, Father, that you would do it over each and every person in this place and every person watching online.
God, mark this house with the anointing. Mark Oceans United Christian Center with the anointing. But Father, let us be a generation that is willing to pay the price, God. Not a manufactured hype emotionalism, but the real deal, God. The real deal. Because hype and emotionalism never, never made a change. But when you come into the room, everything changes. Father, I pray for every person in this place tonight. I pray that you would go with them. God, that you would draw them closer. And that we would draw close to you. Father, let a joy unspeakable be their portion. And the presence of the Lord go with them tonight. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And everybody agreed and said, amen. amen.